I am the very model of a singularitarian. I'm combination transhuman and modalist extropian. Aggressively, I'm changing all my body's biochemistry because my body's heritage is obsolete genetically. I was interested in life extension from when I was a little kid. Should I should I freeze myself or it was should I live forever? This country is has a duopoly that kind of controls the system. Hi, I'm Greg Mastrider, and this is my podcast on rationality, transhumanism, biohacking, and trends of development in society. Today, here with me is the U.S. Transhumanist Party candidate in 2020 presidential elections, an entrepreneur and an artist, Charlie Kemp. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Greg. How are you? This is what we do. Let's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, a, true, a true futurist is always going to greet you this way, especially during this time of this COVID crisis. This is very... Uh, yeah. Where you don't you don't touch the person, but you you let them know to live long and prosper. You're the Star Trek guy or the Star Wars guy? Oh, Star Trek, of course. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, but actually, I, I probably neither one. Now that I now that I'm a grown adult, I look at both of them. I think, oh yeah, they they made all sorts of technological mistakes. <laughs> yeah, but uh, how could they know in advance all hey, those marvels? Uh, you know what? Well, there were other people that knew. Um, uh, Richard cool. Feynman, Richard Feynman, for example. Uh -huh. uh, you know, here you, you know who he was. He's uh, a legend, of course. Right, he's a legend. Everybody, anybody that's in the world of uh, transhumanism or futuristic uh, technologies knows about him. Uh, anyway, I, it's not that he necessarily knew, but there were uh, a lot of people that uh, you know were were uh, visionaries, and um, you know. One of them, of course, is my hero Ray Kurzweil that I've, yeah. uh, you know, read all his books and 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 that opening song that you played, the video is uh, obviously dedicated to his book. Yeah, singularity is near. Yes, yes, the singularity is near. Um, I I was already a fan of Ray Kurzweil's from the '90s when he wrote the Age of the Intelligent Machine back in 1990. And then, of course, Age of the Spiritual Machine in 2000. So <clears throat> when I found out that he was coming out with his another book, The Singularity is Near, in 2005, you know, I ordered an early, early edition as, as soon as it was going to come out. I, I, I sent extra money to get one <laughs> because mm -hmm. I really was uh, excited. And when I when I finally got that book, I mean, I literally probably read it in, in uh, you know, one evening, you know, when you're passionate about something, you just go crazy. And I basically read that overnight or within a day or so. And, you know, it's 600 pages and it gets a little technical. But when I read it, I thought, wow, this is the most profound book I ever read. And it really needs to be uh, known by the world. Everybody should understand what's going to what's coming. But I but I know a lot of people, uh, friends and people that I know that would probably not sit and read 600 pages. So I thought, I have a background in, in science, but I also have a mm -hmm. background in music. So I thought, why not, you know, turn it into a song? So that's kind of what I did. Yeah, it's a great song. And uh, for everyone interested, we'll give links to the full version in the description of this video version of the podcast or audio version of the podcast on podcasting platforms. Uh, yeah, I, I really admire how you can turn... Uh, a little bit boring scientific stuff into these hilarious songs and parodies. Um, I think that's uh, something that the transhumanist uh, movement lacks. I'm glad. I'm glad that you are now the candidate uh, in the elections. But uh, the I, mean, question I, 
I have to ask. I have to 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 ask uh, the question of the background of, uh, of this decision because I know that uh, previously uh, you used to be uh, the running mate of Ben Zion in the elections, and uh, you used to be running for vice president. But Ben Zion has grown. Uh, uh, if I'm uh, not mistaken, uh, in a lab, meat from his own cells and has eaten a burger with uh, human flesh in it, uh, something like that. That's why he <laughs> he got kicked out of the, <laughs> of no. the party. Is that the correct version of the events? No, no, it's not the... It it's not the correct version. It's it. You got some parts in there, but uh, let me, let me, let me clarify just to say what okay. happened. They had a primary and, and, and a, a bunch of people ran. I was not one of them at the time. And Ben got elected. He, he's very knowledgeable guy about the, um, about the whole movement. I mean, if you talk to him, he's, he really knows his stuff. And, and, and I, and I was actually helping him to try to win. I was giving him pointers or whatever, because I believed in the way he spoke about everything that he stood for. And uh, once he won the nomination, he came to me and asked me if I would be his running mate. I've got things that I'm doing all the time, but I said, yeah, you know, sure. I mean, I, I believe in the cause and my whole life, my whole adult life, I've been pushing the idea of trying to spread the idea of transhumanism and all of, of what it stands for. <clears throat> so I was happy to, to be a part of it. Um, after a few months, basically he just had disagreements with the chairperson of the party. Mm -hmm. This idea of the burger thing that he did, nobody really in the, in the, in the USGP wanted him to do it because they thought it sounds a little, you know, off-putting to say the least, but for, you for know, most uh, people at least. <laughs> well, but here's what it really came down to. Cause he had brought it up once or twice to me and I said, nah, I don't, I mean, but, the, but the real reason that I, you know, it was because don't forget when Zoltan Istvan ran in 2016, mm -hmm. uh, he got the coffin bus, right? He, he designed a, a bus yeah. like a coffin and drove around. And that was really uh, the point of that was to do to, to a publicity stunt, essentially to get attention, to bring attention to the movement. So people would and come it and worked. say, right, and it worked. I mean, it was brilliant. I, I, I don't know if you've seen the documentary that he released recently, but I was it was a really good documentary. It was it, it really brought home all the values we stand for. It, it showed him as a nice family fellow who had a lot of knowledge about it. And it was, and it was poignant. It, it, it showed, uh, about his, uh, uh, the passing of his father. So it really was a, it was a well done documentary. And I, and I wish it could have came out sooner, but in any case, and from my understanding, Ben was just looking for a way to do a publicity stunt. And, and he didn't do that burger thing until after he left the party. So ah. it, it, he wasn't really, kicked out because he did that um that was just something he was thinking about as i believe one of the a way to attract attention um and because he ben's not a cannibal uh, he's a regular guy he just you know thought that would be an attention guy. look ben's a friend of mine I'll, he'll never be not my friend i i like him we get along and and he's uh he's he's a smart he's got a great sense of humor maybe that's part of it too he was in disagreement with uh, with with the vision that janati might have had and that what he has um, and you know, again, if, if not for Ben, I wouldn't even be running because he selected me, you know, asked me to be his running mate and I'm happy to be doing this now. Really? Uh, he did that in part because he was looking to, uh, maybe be a candidate for other parties in the idea of bringing transhumanist ideas to those parties, like the reform party or, or something mm -hmm. like that. So I wish him well. And, and, you know, it's unfortunate that, 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 that it, that it all played out the way it did, but, uh, 
it is what it is, and I'm happy to to carry the torch. And and you know, we've had conversations since this, um, and just just not long ago. And he, you know, he's happy to see that I'm doing what I'm doing with it. We're all trying to move the whole transhumanist idea forward. I see. Gennady is the leader of the transhumanist party, right? The well, well, he's the, yeah. Gennady Stolarov is the chairperson of the of uh -huh. the transhumanist party. I mean. He would he would be a good person to run, but he he part of the requirement to run for president, you have to be born in the United States. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. so technically right. that eliminates his him and Arnold Schwarzenegger cannot run for the United States Transhumanist Party for that matter. Um, <laughs> but uh, but he's a, he's a great guy. He's another friend. It's funny that I know they don't just they don't agree on things, but they're both good friends of mine. It's interesting that, uh, I, as far as I know, the official version of the party is that uh, they kicked uh, Ben out because of that incident. Uh, on my part, just to clarify, I don't think that it's cannibalism. If he ate cells uh, uh, <laughs> produced in a lab, he didn't eat that person. Uh, I, I think it's a revolutionary technology, by the way. I think in, in future this will be definitely used to grow not human meat, probably. Right. Uh, no, I, artificial I, I, meat. Just, well, you yeah. know, yeah, absolutely. Artificial meat is uh, going to be a multi-billion dollar industry. In fact, there was just an announcement the other day that uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken is doing is, is trying to grow mm -hmm. laboratory meat for their chicken uh, nuggets, because yeah, obviously I that's it. I knew was coming for a long time. A lot of people knew, but it, but I, I personally had gone to an incubator um, in Silicon Valley with all these young entrepreneurs who were developing artificial pork, artificial beef, artificial chicken, artificial fish, all from cells. It's just logical. Think about it. Artificial meat made in laboratories won't have any contamination. I mean, that's those are sterile laboratories. Plus, if you want, you can actually manipulate it so that uh, it wouldn't even have saturated fats. You could have the omega-3 oils. There's all sorts of benefits to doing that, not to mention, of course, the environmental uh, factor, you know, because you're you're talking about eliminating all the factory farms, not to mention the cruelty to all the animals. Yeah. So it has so many benefits that it's inevitable it's coming. And by the way, you know, it wasn't that long ago the first laboratory uh, hamburger was made, and I think it cost what three hundred thousand or something dollars. Uh, about a year or so they got, they brought it down to about eleven dollars for that same size. Just like everything. I, 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 I ate one. It's it's quite tasty, by the way. You ate a laboratory burger. Uh, I ate an impossible burger. Is that? Oh, uh, well, that's different thing? though. No, 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 no. Look, impossible burgers are made from vegetables. Those are vegan. That's vegan meat. Ah, it, it, I didn't so know. There, no, there's a distinct difference. Although uh -huh. impossible burgers are the bridge to uh, artificial meat burgers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, because a lot of people were skeptical as to whether or not the artificial uh, meat burgers would be accepted by society. It's just a matter of marketing. Um, you can make anything palatable. But the thing is that uh, uh, it was a great uh, bridge, and that became a billion-dollar industry. Uh, Impossible Burger, Beyond Burgers. They're, I mean, they flooded the market, and they did get picked up by Burger King, and they're pretty good. And uh, But that is not the same as animal cells being uh, uh, built yeah. in laboratories. So, you know, the, the good thing about the animal meat thing is it'll solve the problem for the for the people that just they maybe they don't want to be vegan but they like meat burgers well now we can make it yeah. you know yeah. healthy and and we don't and all the animals that are being tortured are no longer tortured that to me that's really the, the best part of it i really uh hate to see any kind of uh, sentient beings being put in harm's way or tortured i 
I mean, I can't even, I can't even step on a, on a ant or, a, or, or spiders, you know, so I, I just. <laughs> mm -hmm. For me as well, I, I have cut down on my meat consumption and I'm planning on becoming probably pescatarian at least because I've read a lot about those horrible industries. So that's that's something that uh, that really uh, is promising. Okay, let's let's discuss the marketing of the Transhumanist Party then. I know that you have been partially responsible for it for some recent period of time, right? Uh, responsible for what? For the marketing of uh, the Transhumanist Party. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, you know, now that I'm running for the president, I... I... I've been getting invited for interviews and I did one in the UK and uh, well, I did two actually there. And then, um, you know, we do a, we do a, 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 a zoom meeting, a, a salon, I should call it with the, with the officers of the party where, where it's led by uh, Gennady, the chairman of the party and myself as one of the main uh, interviewers. So, you know, we're trying to market it in, in just trying to grow numbers of the members by bringing in uh, interesting guests, uh, uh, I, in our pre-talk, I mentioned to you that we had David Hansen just yesterday as one of our guests. Uh, David Hansen, of course, is the founder of Hansen Robotics that created uh, Sophia the Robot. And, um, you know, Sophia was uh, declared a, uh, a person uh, in the UAE. Yeah, they uh, gave uh, her ID, the, yeah. uh, ID, I think. Yeah, yeah, she's actually considered a citizen now. So it, having those kind of interesting people on, you know, brings more attention to the to the party. So we're trying to market it as best we can. Uh, of course, I'm I'm running for president, but the uh, truth is that it's it's obviously you know quite an uphill battle to try to win in the United <laughs> States where we have a crazy duopoly. Uh, so it's not like mm -hmm. I expect to win uh, <laughs> to be realistic. But the goal really is to push the ideas of transhumanism as much as possible much like the Green Party did with uh, global warming or, 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 or climate change. They helped push that along, um, obviously, mm -hmm. with Greta Thunberg, too. And, but, but because that became so prominent in the society uh, or in the world zeitgeist, that now all the candidates that, uh, that were on stage for this particular uh, presidential primary in the Democratic Party all had to address the idea of what are you going to do about climate change? You know, that that became an important aspect. So, so what we would like to do for the Transhumanist Party is push the ideas that are important to us. Uh, for me in particular, it would be life uh, extension as the focus, really, the, the, as the, the primary focus of, uh, of the Transhumanist movement. So you want uh, the population to ask uh, any candidate from any party, what's your stance on life extension, uh, right? Yeah, so yeah, I would like, yeah, I would like them you know, because the, the interesting thing is, um, it's it's amazing, but uh, the the timing of what's going on too with this COVID crisis really brings it to the forefront. You know, uh, mm -hmm. prior to COVID, uh, I would say you know the economy um, and, and climate change and, and 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 healthcare were all were all important, but now uh, not only are they important. But less people are talking about climate. That uh, and that's unfortunate because I think that's very important. But what they're really focused on now, obviously, is you know uh, healthcare because so many people are are getting infected by COVID. So many people are dying from COVID, and a lot of people are losing their jobs because of COVID, which ties right into our economy, which then ties into the idea of like, well, what are they going to do for paychecks? Which ties into the idea of universal basic income which also became a, a little bit of a talking point in mm -hmm. 
in our recent primaries for the Democratic Party. But now it's gotten really much more uh, popular as an idea. In fact, a lot of people are saying that Andrew Yang, who was running as a Democratic nominee, was a little was probably about six months ahead of his time because, uh, you know, a lot of people are talking about this in a very strong way that it's almost necessary. In fact, they've already you know sent out some government checks for people that are out of work in this country because not only because of this crisis, but the inevitability of automation, which is taking over a lot of jobs. So this looks like a test drive of a universal basic yeah. income uh, that That's checks right. yeah. sent to everyone. Well, yeah. uh, and you think it's inevitable? As I said, I'm a big proponent of Ray Kurzweil. And so mm -hmm. when you think about the trajectory that he describes in Singularity is Near and, and the way we're approaching the singularity and all of what comes of the doubling of, of uh, information and computational technology, we can see that uh, automation is going to take over almost all the jobs, eventually all of our all of our jobs, but uh, it'll take over a majority of the jobs so that people, there just won't be enough jobs to go around. There, there'll, there'll still be some jobs, but there would never be enough to compensate for all the population that grows. Also, you have to not take any of these uh, separately. We have to look at the different things that are going to occur, which means mass production. You know, the economy of abundance, as it's described, we're going to have uh, uh, things like what's already happening, you know, 3D printing, for example, and eventually mm -hmm. molecular manufacturing devices. So we will have, similar to what you saw in Star Trek, uh, replicators, where we'll just have mass production of everything in people's homes. So when we have an economy of abundance, where everybody's getting everything they want, as far as the 3D printers and and, and the molecular manufacturing devices, it'll be inevitable that we'll have to set up some form of UBI because they just won't they won't have the jobs. Yeah. So what what will those people do? Just uh, play video games and print <laughs> items for their consumption? Uh, well, no. I think what's going to happen is you know, like you said, this COVID situation has been a little bit of a, a preview as to what's to come. Personally, as well as everybody I talk to, they don't like the idea of just sitting around with nothing to do or being cooped up. And they are looking for things. And I've noticed that people are, are turning more and more to uh, computer, the Internet, to learn things or to do things. Because, you know, you know, the idea that we're going to be slovenly or just do nothing is is because in part for the longest time, because of capitalism, humanity particularly in the West, has defined itself by its job. By, you know, when you, when you ask somebody, oh, uh, or when you meet somebody in this country, you say, well, hey, how you doing? Almost one of the first questions is, what do you do? What do you do? That, that's kind of yeah. what they, that's how they define themselves. Like, oh, I'm a fireman or I'm a, I'm a bank executive. I, I'm a, you know, that is unfortunate because there's so much more to humanity than just doing a job. And I think, ironically, people are afraid that, automation is going to make them lose their job, you know, and I understand why, because, you know, we, we grew up with the idea that you have to get a job to make the money to put food on the table. But imagine with mass production and an abundance economy where you have everything you need, you don't have to be defined by that. And I think younger generations will start to adapt to that. And so in answer to your question, I think what will happen is you'll see a flourish of creativity of people creating ideas and jobs. And look how many people now have podcasts, you know, because they <laughs> because the technology is there, right? I mean, I, I just see this stuff happening all the time. I don't think it's going to be where people are just doing nothing and they're not, you know, making good use of their time. I think you're going to see 
just a, a, an excitement of, of things. Now, there is one other aspect that should be mentioned here because it's all already in its nascent stage. Elon Musk, you know, everybody loves Elon, right? Um, Elon Musk has come out with the company Neuralink and, and he's already trying to do an interface for the brain. So imagine that pretty soon people are going to be a lot smarter than they were not that long ago. And that's probably going to happen in this decade. So as we see people not only have more time, but they're going to be possibly thousands of times smarter, which means you're going to have an explosion of brilliance and time. I, I, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to see what that's going to bring. I, I really don't see this as a detriment. I see this as a big um, boon or, or rather a big promise to make society much better. Me too. Although I'm a bit concerned that I don't have the time to listen to all the podcasts in the world. <laughs> you know, you know, I've seen a joke. Uh, a millennial in his or her life should do uh, the following things. Launch uh, their own podcast, uh, set up and uh, dissolve a startup and experience burnout. So I've done I've done three of those. So I'm 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 in. Okay, uh, we started discussing the party and the elections. Obviously, you said uh, you don't have uh, significant chances uh, against uh, the two major candidates. But still, how how many votes do you expect to get based on previous results of the party? Relatively minuscule. I really don't expect you know, anything of any real significance, it would be hard for me to even to guess that. I don't know. But the, or the order of uh, magnitude. Let's say, for example, a lot of the transhumanist party people vote. It could be in the thousands, you know, but um, I, I really have no idea. And, I'll, and, and, the, and the reason I really don't know, and I'm being honest, I because I don't really expect to win because it's just impossible, not because our ideas are bad. It's really because... Um, this country is, has a duopoly that kind of controls the system, and it makes it very, very hard for a third party of any caliber to, to even scratch the surface of getting, getting counted in the election. Um, for example, probably the third biggest party in the United States is the Libertarian Party. They can't, they don't, they never get any sizable amount. You know, even if they try to get on the ballots, it costs, uh, it, 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 it costs a lot of money. You have to get a lot of signatures. The two parties that run the country essentially are the Republicans and Democrats, and they made it very, very hard for other parties to try to even get in there. For example, even the Green Party, a lot of people were excited about them in the last uh, election in 2016 because of the attention brought to uh, the climate uh, change movement. Uh, yet they could barely get on any ballots, and they, they, they were, it, it was a struggle. And, you know, if you want to look at it this way, with regard to this duopoly and why it's really outdated and it needs to be replaced, then we do need to have a different system. Because if you look at the last two most energizing candidates, uh, or rather the, the, the most energizing candidate of each of the parties, Donald Trump, who got the nomination, obviously, wasn't even a registered Republican. He was a game show host from The Apprentice. I mean, he just came in and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make, I'm going to change, I'm going to do things different. And everybody gravitated towards him that was a Republican or wanted to vote for him because they wanted to see a change. And on the other side of the spectrum with the Democrats, Bernie Sanders was the most popular um, energizing force of that uh, of that party. And he wasn't officially a Democrat. He was he, he was of the independent party. 
And then he switched over to the Democrats and he, he called himself a, a democratic socialist. Yeah. So, you know, that, that duopoly unfortunately sits there and people that are from other parties uh, kind of have to join those parties just to get their uh, voices heard. I think that's the, kind of the case with Andrew Yang. I think he, I think Andrew Yang might fall more into, uh, in, into our party, uh, you know, based on the fact that he thinks a lot about how uh, automation is going to change the dynamics of our economy uh, and that was kind of the forefront of what he was all about. Yeah, looks so. But I think uh, in history, in the 20th century, there, there used to be cases when the independents won something close to 10%. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were there were situations like Ross Perot uh, back in yeah. the 80s and when he ran against Clinton. The problem, of course, there was too, again, which we almost saw here with uh, Michael Bloomberg was, it required a billionaire. I mean, it, it, you know, in a capitalist world, I guess you could just buy your way if you have to. But even then, it's they they made it very that the duopoly made it very 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 hard uh, to get on the ballots, and and they kind of work uh, in tandem with uh, the networks, and it's tough, you know, to get a third party to even be on a stage. So it, yeah, it's happened where third parties have gotten some traction but rarely you know do they even come close to being significant they they maybe the only thing they can do essentially is be somewhat of a spoiler they're not going to win but mm. you know arguably um uh, ralph nader people say that he may have spoiled the election for al gore um mm. back in 2000 because he took away some votes in florida but uh you know when he was running as, a, as an independent or a third party but uh for the most part, it's just unfortunate that that's the case. And I think that's going to change over time. But wouldn't it make the more logical approach for transhumanists to enter not the USTP, the transhumanist party, but, for example, the Democratic Party or the Republican Party and try to raise through the ranks of that parties to become candidates of that parties? Yeah, no, I think that's what Zoltan was trying to do. Zoltan Istvan, when he, uh, you know, he essentially left the USTP, even though he's one of the founders, but he left. And this year he was trying to run to get on the libertarian ticket. And then he was contemplating or then he was on the or he was on the Republican ticket. And he was trying to get on the libertarian ticket, but he did register uh, under those uh, bigger parties to see if he could possibly get a, you know, make some kind of dent in that and see if he can get on stage. Um, but yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, but it doesn't negate that we shouldn't have the USTP. I think it's, I think yeah. we have, you know, it, it's just like what I said with regard to Bernie Sanders, for example, you know, he might be, he was with the independent party, but then he, um, because he wanted to run for president, you know, switched to democratic party and then he ran, ran, ran. And then, and then he switched back when he didn't win, uh, the first time with Hillary, uh, or against Hillary. So now, um, uh, you know, he, he tried to run again as a Democrat. So I, I think that, uh, that you're right. It, it would be a good idea. And I do think that's what Zoltan tried to do. So, yeah, but I do think we could have a party. The, I think the USDP should be a party, like I said earlier, where you can, uh, kind of represent the, uh, the uh, belief systems of what we have, much like the Green Party does for, uh, the environment. How soon uh, do you think it possible for a transhumanist to become the president of the United States? Oh, I think it's going to be very soon. You know, Elon Musk is a transhumanist. He just, you know, doesn't call himself that. But by definition, here's a guy mm -hmm. who's doing all of these uh, innovative technologies 
uh, particularly, I think, Neuralink. So, you know, we might have a transhumanist in office who, who may not know that, he's <laughs> that, that we call him that. Uh, I think the ideas of transhumanism, uh, as we discussed earlier, are going to come anyway. I mean, you know, like I said, the economy of abundance is coming. You know, it's funny that there's a debate about whether universal basic income is a is a socialist idea or is it a capitalist, some form of cap. It really, however you want to define it, it's going to come. It's kind of like, uh, you know, the, uh, Kurzweil's idea of uh, uh, exponential growth of technology. And some people are debating about, well, should we allow that? Well, it's not a matter of allowing it. It's, it's yeah. a matter of when, you know, it's just going to come. So we, we should learn about it and deal with it as best we can. And I think that's going to happen. We're going to have an automated technology that's going to pervade throughout all of society. So when you think about it, all of our economy, um, I mean, you, you know, like, uh, Keynesian econ economists have, uh, people that understand that know that economy is basically started with evolution, right? It was, it was survival of the fittest and it was, um, it was a limited, you know, it was, it was based on supply and demand. So you had only so much resources and that's how economies, uh, in, in capitalism are determined uh, that you, you have only so much supply and thus demand goes up. But when you have unlimited supply, well, that's going to undermine the whole idea of capitalism. The economy is going to necessarily change and we're going to have an, what's called the economy of abundance. That's only going to be good. That means that once it spreads worldwide and it will, then you won't have poverty in places that have been stricken with poverty for for a long, long time, not to mention in our own countries. Uh, you mentioned that uh, there are notable people who are, in fact, transhumanists, but do not call themselves transhumanists. And I think it may be because for some people, this word is connected with some negative connotations. Is that correct? It's one of those words where people don't even know what it means sometimes. When I first started talking about transhumanism, look, I was interested in life extension from when I was a little kid. I mean, I'm not a religious person for the most part. When I was growing up, I was very much into in science and, and technology. And if somebody asked me how you got here, I'd say, well, there was Big Bang, there was evolution, here I am. And then if they want to know where I'm going, I'm like, oh, um, death, non-existence, which became pretty... Uh, <laughs> uh, to say the least, that was gave a lot of apprehension to me. And the idea was I started looking into just exactly what could be done as far as not dying. And that's when I started to uh, look into things that involved that, which included things like cranics and stuff. But then I found out that there was such an organization as the World Transhumanist Association, that there was this whole group of like-minded people, but they were called transhumanists. And I had to learn what that meant. And I saw, okay, transhumanism basically means you're transcending uh, the human dilemma of, of dying, and uh, they do it through the use of technology. So that made a lot of sense to me. But there was a lot of apprehension way back then in the late 90s about that term. Because even when I would tell people that I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm into transhumanism, well, of course, the first thing they thought was like, oh, really? So you're, you don't want to be a man anymore. You're going to become a woman. I'm like, mm -hmm. no, 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 <laughs> no, it's not that. It, you know, they, they thought it was transgender or something of that nature because it sounds close. So there was a misunderstanding of it with the speed of social media and, and the exponential growth of technologies. The definitions of, of terms uh, are becoming more and more exposed and better well-defined 
in society. For example, because there was confusion about transhumanism with transgender, you know, it, it had to be explained every time when I would meet someone and I'd tell them what transhumanism was. But now transgender has become qu- clearly defined. People know what that is. So that isn't yeah. necessary. Like now, because you've got people like uh, Bruce Jenner, who's become, he's transgender now, and he's a woman, um, uh, as Ken, uh, whatever his new name is, Jen, Jenner. And, and there are some transgender Caitlin models Jenner. that, yeah, Caitlyn Jenner. And there's there's some transgender models that are that are sought after highly on, on the runways in Europe. Uh, you know, they're, they're easily accepted. There's some television stars and TV and movie stars that are transgender. Now that uh, that that group of people and that and that term has been well defined. So by default, uh, people know, well, transhumanism, not that because that's that's got its own name. But I meant I meant a different uh, connotation. Uh, Most people. Yeah. uh, Most people that I speak to uh, know of transhumanism. And, uh, well, I'm in a bubble, obviously, most people in the world don't know about it, but most people I speak to know of it and know that it's not uh, connected to being a trans person, but they say that transhumanism is something about becoming a robot. That's the connotation they have. And many people uh, react negatively towards that. They don't think immediately of uh, uh, life extension and all those obviously good things. They think about uh, uh, cutting off your hands and uh, legs, uh, installing prosthesis, becoming a Terminator, you know? Oh, yeah. No, look, you're right. And uh, the problem, of course, is just marketing. It's just a matter of getting the word out there. That's part of what my job is right now and what my job has been a long time. But it's really just getting people to be aware of what it stands for so they don't just think automatically bad things. I'll, I'll give you an example of something recently that happened. There was an interview by uh, a famous actress, Katie Sackhoff or something like that. I think that's her name. You can Google it. But she was on Battlestar Galactica. And um, mm-hmm. she's been in a lot of TV shows. She was on The Big Bang Theory. She recently, she does uh, a YouTube uh, TV sh- uh, podcast or a YouTube uh, channel. She has a YouTube channel where she does these different interviews about different things. And she recently went and interviewed uh, Alcor the cryonics suspension company in the United States in, uh, in Arizona. Yeah. She went there. The title of her YouTube video for that was, should I, should I freeze myself? Or it was, should I live forever? You know, and she went there and she interviewed Max Moore, who, who's the, um, the ambassador for the, uh, he used to be president or now he's the ambassador. He was the CEO. Now he's the ambassador for Alcor. And it was a lengthy 45 minute interview. And she went into it admitting that she she says look my idea of what of what cryonics was and what it what i have the idea of what it is now that i came out of it after that interview and 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 going there is totally different she says i had different i i didn't even know she didn't even know that it was necessarily possible she thought it was just science fiction but yeah most people do think it's still and they still think it's science fiction even though it's been in all sorts of movies you know cryonics you know that just gives you a very uh that's like a little microcosm example you know, showing that someone goes into something thinking, you know, something futuristic, for example, which, by the way, uh, transhumanism is a big proponent of cryonics. So they go into it thinking one thing or or being unaware. And then once they understand it, then they don't have that uh, negative or, or, or misconstrued connotation. Um, but look, basically, the reason I think transhumanism, once once it does get more exposure, uh, it'll catch on because it, it, it is it is only a positive thing. I mean, look, the idea of life extension really 
what we're talking about is adopting technologies and therapies uh, that will keep people alive. Who would not want to see their grandparents or their terminally ill child kept alive? I mean, that's our, that's our goal. So once they understand that, I think we're going to be looked at in a very positive light. Yeah, that's that's the job of uh, those in charge of marketing transhumanism. I I consider myself, by the way, one of uh, those people because I advocate well, you can, in, in my blogs for you, that. You need to you need to get get on that. Work harder. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I'm pushing myself. My last question would be, what are the three most important steps that you would take should you become the president? Imagine that uh, for some reason you succeed. Other candidates... Uh, uh, let, me, let, me, let me imagine that for a second. <laughs> disappear uh, and yeah. you succeed. Burr, burr, burr. Yeah, I, I, okay, I'm president. Um, no, here's what I would say. Well, I mean, the first step I would have to tell you is that I would definitely... Uh, uh, surround myself with the smartest people I can think of, uh, particularly in the transhumanist community. So I'd be calling up Ray Kurzweil and and uh, probably Aubrey de Grey and Ben Gertzel and all these brilliant people that that are part of this movement uh, because um, we need that kind of brain power uh, in the leadership. I mean, right now we have a, a leader who, you know, when he's dealing with this COVID crisis, he's he's saying things like, you know, injecting people yeah. with. Uh, cleaner you know with, with so that's craziness right so so right. obviously we need we need smartness so that that would be one of the first things i would do the other thing i would say um i would want to you know look over the economy and we have to restructure it so that we're not spending more than half of our entire economy on uh the defense we spend more on defense than all the other top countries in the westernized society combined there's no reason for that um you know so we need to take that kind of money and put it towards life extension research in particular so i would really see a i would redistribute all of that uh, type of of the budget into things that are going to be uh, much more life uh, extending those are some of the things i would do um and that would probably incorporate the, a lot of steps so you're asking me the top three i mean bringing in smart people, uh, redistributing the budget. I would like to see, you know, maybe more information to people to learn more about all the technologies that are out there. One of the things I think that's important is education. And I would like to see, like, for example, we were talking about universal basic income. Of course, I would be pushing for that. Now, there's been a debate about whether or not that's affordable. Well, the idea of, of pushing that kind of money towards people, I mean, they would spend it, it would get back into the economy anyway, but I would mm -hmm. supplement it with things like 3D printers or eventually molecular manufacturing devices. So that would offset it uh, where you don't have to just give money. You, you know, it would be a way of people getting the things they need. The other thing that's important would be a form of universal uh, basic health for everyone, but I would want to do it in a way that's more proactionary or, or preventative, you know, because we have so many technologies, for example, aging. That's something that I would do. I would want to put aging as a disease so that people can focus on making aging uh, something that we go to cure. Because if we can stop all the forms of aging, well, then the cost of healthcare would plummet. And I would also look for free education. You know, people debate whether or not that's uh, something we can afford. I, I would argue the opposite. I would say it's something we can't afford not to do. We, we need to have people smarter. You know, we can't have people that don't understand 
you know, what it is to put a guy in office that doesn't know what he's doing. You know, so we have to have a smarter electorate. And I think that by um, having free public education for everybody, not just through grade school and high school, but for college. And that, again, the cost for that can be offset by putting a lot of that online and, and perfecting it. And I think this COVID thing has really accelerated that idea. So so this COVID kind of kind of did bring a lot of things to the forefront. But anyway, I, I apologize for going on and on with your last question there. But but, you know, now that I'm a politician, I'm long winded. <laughs> it's okay. I like your way of thinking. I hope you will be successful, even though you say that uh, the chances are low. Maybe, maybe not in this uh, election cycle. Maybe in maybe in some of the next ones. I just want to say I would like to see you run for president of Russia. When are you going to do that? <laughs> ah. <laughs> we will see. We will see. At the moment, I'm in between countries. Uh, well, currently, due to lockdown, I'm in Moscow, but uh, I'm spending uh, part of my time in Russia, part in the US uh, and in other countries producing content in, in several languages. Well, so, I, I uh, think if I was president of the US and you were president of Russia, we'd be uh, it would be a much better alliance than Trump and Putin. I'll tell you that right now. So. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Charlie. Uh, for the viewers, and listeners please support my projects on patreon the link will be in the description of this video and the audio version of the podcast hit the like button the subscribe button write a review on itunes spotify or any other podcasting platforms that you use thank you for listening and watching see you next week i'm greg mastery thank you charlie you're welcome <laughs>в общем-то, знакомые в Альбионе, с которыми я там уже знаком второй год, да, не могу сказать, что они прям друзья, ну, типа, знакомые, если вдруг он мне там напишет даже, я не знаю, там, что ему там пятихатку занять надо, я могу занять, типа, я доверяю некоторым людям, с которыми я играл, вот, ну, и, короче, вот, когда я вступил в Russian Guild, тогда только еще наняли Широ э, с его там людьми, чтобы он развивал гильдию. И на тот момент гильдия Russian Guild выглядела такая помоечка, на самом деле. Типа, ну, просто какая-то гильдия, у которой, ну, которая ничего особо не представляет, но очень хочет представлять. Вот. То есть там никакого понятия у людей нету о том, как вообще играть в игру. Именно, именно в плане ЗВЗ и так далее. Вот. И Шира, типа, ну, там, водил тренировать и так далее. А Шира, на самом деле, очень агрессивный в общении человек, он постоянно орет, матерится там и так далее, типа, вы, сыны шлюх, блядь, вы что, пройти не можете, вы хули вы стоите там и так далее, то есть, ну, очень агрессивно общается, общается с людьми, но, ну, и многие, многие ломаются, как бы, да, то есть, это реально хикан, который говорит, блядь, сыны шлюх, ебаных, ну, ну, да много уже, наверное, там, 27, может, 28 лет, то есть, ну, такой, ну, может быть, 30 лет, не, не знаю, ну, не старик, короче, вот, все ночью компетитив игрок такой, он постоянно орет, блядь, матом на, на своих. У меня даже на компе запись есть, где э, я был, ну, я в другой русской гильдии был, э, враг как раз, вот, э, гильдия рак, где Кайлом был Плиз. Плиз тоже там, тоже такое, в общем-то, такое, ну, для меня лично я считаю легендарным таким человеком в игре, но все равно не буду уже про него там ничего рассказывать сейчас. 
и так долго уже бессвязно что-то бред какой-то несу. Да нет, я уже начал даже понимать вот эти все словечки ваши. ЗВЗ, блядь, РЛ. Ну да. Вот, ну короче, у меня есть запись, где запись с голосом Шира, как они с нами дерутся, и как в, драк, в драке, в которой они проебали. И, типа там был очень мемный момент, что в один, э, ну в конце видео, у нас чел, э, типа одной кнопкой там убил 10 человек, и у Шира люто пригорела жопа. Он кикнул сразу всех, кого убил этот человек. Он кикнул 10 человек из гильдии моментально. И я... Ну да, просто сказал, все, пошли вы нахуй, вы больше, я больше с вами... Типа, а они ошибки делали? Ну типа, да, и там не прожали какую-то кнопку, застакались и умерли. Там просто прикол в том, что если, э, скажем, э, вот стоит один чел и стреляет в одного чела, урон один. Но если стоит один чел и попадает по десятерым, урон по ним всем увеличивается там неадекватно. В итоге, если один человек бьет десятерых, он их убьет нахуй, ваншотнет моментально. То есть нельзя стакаться, нужно расстакаться как бы во время драки. А там что-то они пробивали, какой, ну, проходили какой-то челк, ну, то есть узкое место, и вот туда упало, собственно, тефтелье, ну, там оружие, типа метеор, метеорит падает, короче. И он этим метеоритом убил 10 человек. Мы после ЗВЗ уже собрались там, ну, типа там Плис, вот другие, РЛ и так далее. Я говорю, бля, я готов заплатить, чтобы послушать, что у них в канале было. И, и как-то так получилось, что чел, которого, или девушка была, которую кикнули, она записывала и она такая, ну меня кикнули, мне уже похуй, на, забирайте. Типа, в итоге заплатили, кстати, да, 10 миллионов серебра, это 350 рублей. Типа, заплатили 10 миллионов, у меня до сих пор это видео лежит, обожаю его, блядь. Там просто такая команда охуенная от Шира была, залить по плезу, то есть, ну, убить нашего РЛ, чтобы мы, типа, ну, типа, мы растерялись и все. И в итоге там просто 70 человек влетает в этого плеза, и он такой, все, плеза убили, отлично. И в этот момент... Ну, а у нас уже была гениальная тактика на этот счет. Если, ну, там, если чел умирает, у него все, у него черный экран, ничего не видит. Танк какой-нибудь подрубал стрим, и Плис смотрел на стрим и говорил, что делать. Танк, он просто... Самое главное, что он впереди стоит, и он все видит, что происходит. И Плис просто заходил на стрим и начинал релить, типа, с небольшой там задержкой в полторы секунды, типа, со стрима. И у Шира жопа говорит, почему они, блядь, не умирают? Мы же убили Плиза! Что происходит, блядь, типа, ну, вообще не понимает, почему, типа, у, ну, убили полководца, да, армия все должна развалиться, а мы дальше в итоге хуярим, выиграли, да, да. да, такой вот мемный момент. Ну, так вот, когда я только в Рашингел вступил, вот, это была такая, типа, ну, для Шира это была вообще помойка ебаная, то есть люди просто не понимают, как играть. И на протяжении там полугода, наверное, мы завзэшили, то есть дрались там, мы дрались даже с блюарми, ну, сильнейший на тот момент. Но это такой, типа, не то, что договоренный матч был, но типа Шира и Моджи, они всегда, ну, они уже давно не в одной гильдии, очень давно не в одной гильдии, но все равно контачатся, как бы. То есть какие-то взаимные там договоренности и так далее. В конечном счете Russian Guild попали в Альянс Сквад. То есть гильдия, которая из себя ничего не представляла, попала в самую кру самый крутой альянс в игре. Вот. И была монополистом, по сути, национальным. Ну, а, и... Альянс это тот, в котором 20 тысяч. Нет, нет, нет. Это Арчалианс это вообще не круто, это помойка вонючая. Ну, типа, потому что когда Альянс 20 тысяч человек, это как бы quantity over quality. А, а склад Альянс это был типа quality over quantity. То есть самое главное это качество игроков было, а не количество. Небольшой, но... И это, это вообще и всегда... Ритуал, в это... который... Да, в этой игре всегда это именно... Которые, которые не, это не Эльфгард, они были одни. Это, кстати, одно, ну, какое-то время они были одни. Это, одни. это такая редкая ситуация, когда гильдия без альянса толком разносит реально. Это очень круто. Поэтому, в общем-то, для меня Эльфгард есть легендарный, то, что они просто в соло. 
типа да, затащили. Вот. А мы попали в сквад. Сквад это, это альянс главенствующей гильдии, которая была Блю Арми, Кинг Моджа. Вот, то есть это как вот у Синдика, опять же, Crimson Imperium Reborn, у Кинг Моджа Блю Арми. Вот это вот Блю Арми, у Блю Арми сквад. Вот альянс сквад, и мы в него попали в итоге. Ну, потому что Шира. Да, Russian Guild попала к нему в этот склад после того, как мы более-менее научились играть, научились драться там и так далее, потому что мы ходили просто, мы, блядь, ну, знаешь, собираемся, там, одеваемся, идем и, блядь, умираем за секунду, Шира орет нахуй, мы опять идем, одеваемся, и вот так вот, типа, на протяжении, там, нескольких месяцев. А там ты возрождаешься, возрождаешься голый, то есть ты оделся, заплатил деньги свои серебром, за, ну, за, свой, за свой серебро, который ты в игре как-то заработал, Пошел, сдох, все проебал, по новой поделся и так далее. То есть, ну, это в этом весь прикол. Типа, что это, это не просто, что ты пошел, сдох. Ну, для меня это сейчас так, потому что сейчас просто очень, ну, жесткая инфляция в игре происходит, обесценивается все, потому что очень много людей, очень много ресурсов, очень много крафтингов и так далее. То есть, в итоге очень дохуя всего просто появляется. А тогда еще одеваться нормально было сложно. То есть, одеваться, чтобы ты был достаточно мощный. Но при этом, чтобы ты мог одеться, блядь, еще раз, чтобы просто не остаться без денег. Вот. Тяжело это было. И каждая смерть, это было, типа, грустно. Люди поэтому и отваливались. Типа, что, блядь, все, я не могу больше в этой гильдии играть, потому что у меня денег нет. Все, извините. У меня, ну, у меня получалось держаться, потому что я, помимо ЗВЗ, там еще что-то делал, да, там, то есть, там, ганкл собирал, там, все делал. Гангл, типа, как просто в open world нападаешь на человека, который этого не ждет, который не хочет драться, то есть он там собирает ресурсы или что-то перевозит а, и так далее. Ну, ну, типа, да, да, да. То есть генг через кей. Генг. То есть, понял. что я типа напал на человека там. Ну, ганг это, в принципе, такая, такое слово в играх, то, что это когда ты нападаешь на человека, который заведомо не готов сейчас принимать драку и не хочет вообще драться. Ты его как бы. У тебя билд, который вынуждает, то есть ты его ловишь. Он не может от тебя убежать, и ты его убиваешь, все. Ну вот. Тут способ заработка такой. Вот. То есть я там чем-то таким занимался, у меня были деньги, чтобы ходить на все эти ЗВЗ, сливать, блядь, деньги просто миллионами, там, да, и все нормально. Да, деньги из игры, но многие я же не люди. Не тратил свои деньги. Не, я не тратил, я в игру ни копейки не залил. Ну, кроме я купил ее на релизе, сейчас она 